0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the IME podcast. And um, today, I swear the guests just keep getting bigger and bigger, in my opinion. Um, today, we probably have one of the biggest guests on board, um, in my opinion. I'd like to welcome Tony Doherty to the IME podcast. Um, the godfather of bodybuilding in Australia, 56 years of age, founder and owner of Doherty's Gym, um, ex- execute, executive director of the IFBB Pro League and um yeah just so much more like a huge name in the industry and um yeah tony real pleasure to have you on man
1: good to be here mate
0: cheers for coming on how's everything been down in melbourne
1: well getting back to normal you know it was uh, pretty tough for everyone with such a long lockdown you know with the gyms we were shut uh 29 out of 31 weeks so we we shut for 13 weeks um which was kind of good it was a bit of a reset we got to do all the stuff around the gyms i think that you don't normally get to do and then we were open for 2 weeks and then we got I think it was like 12 hours notice that we to close again. Yeah. The second lockdown was brutal man. They said it was going to be 6 weeks and went for 141 days. Um, yeah.
0: But it's everything's up and running now.
1: Yeah, um we opened up, well, sometime in December and uh the first 2 weeks we could only have 20 people in at a time which was yeah, hardly worth opening, but it gives us you know a little bit of time to get some people in and uh then they went from that to 150, and I'd been doing a lot of work, you know, with the fitness industry bodies and with the government, and sort of fighting like mad to get the gyms open. So I had a pretty good idea of, you know, what, what, and when it was going to happen. And uh, but it's been awesome ever since. People really appreciate um, the fact that gyms are open again. Everyone wipes down the benches with the paper towel. And, you
0: know, yeah, it's and awesome. And I think people are a bit more you know, a bit more cleaner around the gyms. Now they know about all this COVID. You well, know. I think
1: that, that a little bit more grateful, you know, because they realise yeah. that when you've had something taken off you, maybe that's when you start to appreciate it. So, you know, um, happy days, man. It's, it, let's it's, just, it's let's a just hope it back. doesn't go
0: back into, um, you know, that lockdown. Let's just yeah. pray. And, um, yeah, yeah I hope about, it just keeps running.
1: <laughs> about praying, man. If that worked, it wouldn't have happened in the first place, but, yeah. um, I, I, I think that you know we all learned a lot about you know what we're capable of, and it was it was definitely a tough year that no one would have seen coming. You know we had to cancel the Arnold Expo, we had to cancel all the shows, we had to shut the gyms. So you know I took a few massive hits in 2020. And uh, what's sort of funny is I think that everyone thought you know New Year's Eve we'll wake up in the morning, yeah. we'll have our lives back, everything will be better again. And of course it's going to take a little time. It's not just going to just it's not like the flick of a switch. I think we've got. Look, there's going to be no international travel for probably 12 months. And, you know, um, I think we're, we've are we just got to try and maintain, you know, social distancing and um, a lot of hygiene practices and this sort of thing so that we don't go backwards. Because right now, man, this is the best place in the world to be. You know, yeah, I talk to I my, my partners and friends in the US pretty much every.
0: Yeah, it's terrible over there, I've heard.
1: Oh, dude, like... County alone is having fifteen thousand cases a day. You know, what? um one in five people that gets tested has COVID. It's out of control. And you look at the Great Great Britain, yeah. You know, one day last week they had sixty eight thousand new cases in one day and thirteen hundred and fifteen deaths in one twenty four hour period. It's something yeah. shit. That's more than we had in, in nearly a year in the whole country. Yeah, it's very so, serious. So, you know, I think we've got a great advantage that we're an island nation and people can't just cross the border, you know, in their car or their truck or, you know, skip, skip their way through. You can't sort of row a boat here from anywhere. Um, so yeah. we're pretty isolated, which has worked in our favour. And I think overall Australia's done a it's great, done a great job. job. And, you know, I, I think now we just all wish we could be one nation instead of, you know, six six states and one territory with these border bands, I'd love to see us have a policy that applies for all of Australia, and, you know, and, and to be able to just at least travel within our own country.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, do you want to tell the audience just a little bit about yourself and how did you get started into the bodybuilding, the fitness, um, all that kind of industry?
1: Oh man, when I was a, a kid, you know, I I was probably 14. I was watching TV one night with my dad. It was one of those sort of variety shows and you know, those nighttime shows. It was Don Lane or Michael Walsh or something—I can't remember—and um, this guy came on, you know, and started flexing and talking. And he seemed really confident and caught my eye, and it was Arnold. So I That's sat there and I'm, I'm like, "Hey, Dad, what's that?" And he goes, "It's a bodybuilder." And I said, "How do you look like that?" And he goes, "Well, I guess you work out and go to the gym and learn about eating properly and you know this and that sort of thing and research it a bit." And he was promoting a book called "The Education of a Bodybuilder." And I said, "Look." I think it was 14, I'm like, all I want for my birthday, Christmas, whatever it was, is that book. And I read it and read it and read it till it fell to pieces. And I kind of had this um, light bulb moment, I guess at 14, I was like, I'm going to be a gym owner, a promoter and a bodybuilder. I don't want to do anything else. So forget about university and school and education, because I'm just going to concentrate on this. And of course, it drove my parents mad, but um, it kind of worked out. So that's how it all started.
0: Yeah. Interesting. And like, look what it's led to now, man. Like it's, you know, I bet you they didn't think that. And I bet you probably didn't think you'd get this far in the, you know, the world with all of it. But yeah,
1: well, congratulations. people always say that. Oh, I bet you didn't think you'd go this far. I always dreamt really big. Like,
0: So you, was... you had the, you had the dreams and the goals to be where you're at today.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And, That's and, awesome. you know, it was funny. I, um, when I went to the first Arnold Classic in the US in, started in 89, I think I probably went in 1991. And I walked in there, it was like the beginning of what it became, you know, but it was um a whole lot of booths and different sports and this and that and everyone else was going, Oh, there's Rich Gaspari and there's Lee Haney or whatever and they're so sort of caught up being a fan. And I remember I just looked around and went, I'm gonna bring this to Australia one day and I was I was like a kid, I was twenty four or something. I'm like, I'm gonna bring this to Australia one day and then I'll become obsessed with that. And um and I always believed that that one day it would become global and I'd become Arnold's business partner in that venture in Australia. And, um, you know, six years ago, we started working on that and uh, haven't stopped since, apart from COVID. So, um, you know, and, and I remember walking into Gold's Gym the first time, where they're probably around That'd the same time, sure. 1990 or 91. And, and uh, I walked into Gold's and I loved the vibe. And it was like, it was really old school back then. And I liked all the pictures on the wall, the fact that it was kind of this this um, go-to place or this must-visit place was like your major pilgrimage to Gold's Gym. And this is before the internet everything, so you used to always read about it in the muscle magazines and stuff. And I remember you know, I went over there to train with an Australian bodybuilder called Sonny Schmidt that i travelled with for 10 years. And I remember we were there for, I don't know, the first week or something, and I started to visualise, I'm going to build this this kind of style of gym in Australia. And I'm going to do it even better. I'm going to make it this amazing kind of museum of bodybuilding. It's a home away from home for people and be 24 hours and all this sort of stuff. And I started planning that way back then. So it's funny how things work out.
0: Yeah, it's amazing, man. And like, who knows what, you know, you can do in the future with it. Like sky's the limit. So who knows how far you can take it?
1: Well, you know what? I always think that when I travel and because of the, you know, traveling with the Arnold circus, the last six years we're on the road six months of the year i've probably been to probably nearly 50 countries in the last five years six years and um always wherever i am i always just say to the you know the guy at the hotel the concierge whatever you know where's a, like a, a family like a a regular gym for regular people you know like a hardcore gym it's kind of cool and yeah. a lot of cities don't have no so Oh, there's fitness first down the road or there's this or that kind of virgin something up the road. And um, no, 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 so it's not what I'm looking for. I'm talking about where do all the, you know, all the street people go and all the big people go and all the people that nobody wants, that 5% <laughs> of people that no one wants. Where do they all train? And a lot of cities don't have one. So I always say to people, every city in the world needs a Doherty's gym, whether it's called that or not. So I, I, I'd love to um, get to the stage where we get like a licensee in all the big cities in the world and have that, you know, thing not too far from the city or not too far from the airport where you can land somewhere and say, Where's the nearest Doherty's gym? That'd be pretty cool.
0: We definitely do that in saying that, where if you were if you were to open up the next Doherty's gym in another state, where would be your first pick? Um
1: Uh probably I wouldn't do on Gold Coast, but I might do Brisbane. Like um I've had a few um guys wanted me to do a gym up there with them. So I've got, I've got one in Perth, which is our first licensed one where I don't own it outright. You know, we, we, um, we basically um, partnership with, with the branding on it and they pay like a license fee to be our partners there and they have the same values we've got. In fact, it's like I've seen you training at Brunswick. It's like a mini Brunswick. It's just like Brunswick, but a bit smaller. All the same pictures and same vibe, same, same no bullshit approach. Great partners over there. So I've had a few guys approach me from Brisbane and Sydney, and I think um, Brisbane, like somewhere in the valley or something, it could go really, really well.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I, I wouldn't stop you uh, um, bringing one up here. I'd definitely be training there yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah, well, you know, then I've just got to find the right partner, one that can afford it, two yeah. that understands it's, it's, it's a long game. You know, we're, we're not uh, like a cash flow... Gym, like a lot of people say, Oh, yeah, but I could buy an anytime fitness license. I could make this much and I could have a passive income. I will go do that. Yeah. But if you want to have a gym where you just can't wait to get there every day and you look forward to it and you love your life and you want to buy, I guess, rather than buy an investment, but to buy a lifestyle, that's probably what, what we offer. So, yeah, I'm in no hurry to do that. I've, I've never kind of tried to market it or anything. It's just a case of, the right people come, come along when they're meant to, and that's that. And in Sydney, I've had quite a few offers in Sydney, but every time I've had one, there's probably been a dozen of them that, you know, within the second or third conversation, I say, oh, and when we um, do our Sydney one, we want to do group fitness and child minding. I'm like, whoa, whoa. that I want to bring to, it back. You're talking to the wrong person. There's, there's a whole lot of other franchises out there that, that involve that. We don't involve that. We do weights, cardio, boxing, coffee. That's it. <laughs> coffee, hundred percent. Well, we do. We have a coffee machine. Yeah, all of I our love gyms, it. A little cafe area where people can mingle and hang out yeah. and network and become friends. And we encourage people from all walks of society to come into our gym. So you can be a leader of industry, you can be a, a magistrate, or you can be a you know a tattooed guy or a, 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 an unemployed person or whatever. And I just say to you just leave your hat at the door because when you're here, you're all equal, right? There's no yeah. one gets. Good- you got to put your weights away. We don't take shit from anyone. You know, behave, be respectful, be nice to people. And then when you're finished, off you go and uh, you'll be better off for it. Yeah. So that. we've created, I guess, a very unique culture, which is, it's almost hard to explain in words. I mean, you've trained here, mate. I remember coming up and saying, G'day to you when you were here. Yeah. Br- and,
0: Brunswick's my favorite by far. Yeah.
1: Mine too. You know, it, it's, it, it, it's a really magical place. It's, um, it's 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 become a destination point for so many people not just in bodybuilding but in sport in you know people that follow me and become fans and this and that sort of thing they now make their pilgrimage to dowry's brunswick like like guys like i used to do to gold's gym in venice you know 30 years ago so it's it's pretty cool jacks it's um yeah and the amount of people say to me on the daily you know this place is something about it i'm like yeah there really is you know we um
0: even just, you know, I think, um, even just all the pictures, you know, on the walls and that man, like it's just totally unique,
1: you know? What I mean? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of pictures, you know, all the black and white ones I took myself in the nineties at the Olympias, you know, all that stuff reflects Wheeler and, and Kevin and Dorian and Dillette and all those guys. There's no other gym in the world with those pictures. And I know that because I took the shots. So, um, you know, it's, it's become a little bit of a historical place and, uh, lot of atmosphere and a lot of reminders and I think just a cool vibe you know we just it's 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 like we have the unsaid um no dickhead rule you know and um anyone here that gets you know they come in strutting around get a little bit ahead of themselves they get pulled down to size pretty quick and uh you know we run a tight ship but that's why the place is always immaculately clean no one leaves their weights out and um that's how a gym should be
0: yeah, that leads me to my next question. So obviously, you know, we know you're the owner of um, All Doherty's Gyms. What's the most rewarding part of owning, you know, all of these Doherty's Gyms that are so well-known?
1: Oh, I mean, the most rewarding part is just knowing what it means to people. You know, we're, we're not for everyone. Um, I guess best way to put it would be so say um, we're not open for the people that want to train. We're, we're open for the people that need to train. And there's so many people... You know, this is the highlight the highlight of their day, and I say to my staff all the time, um, you, you gotta you gotta realise that people might drive past twenty other gyms to get here, and there's a reason for that. And when they walk in, you know, don't judge them. don't go, oh, yeah, that Jackson's always got a long face, or you know, Phil is a moody prick when he comes in, or this guy's always miserable, because you never know what anyone's going. And I always say, I can guarantee you this, that. All day long, all they think, whether they've got a shitty job or a crappy boss or a bad relationship or they're getting bullied or they've got depression or they're just going through a hard time or their marriage has fallen apart for men and women, whoever it is, you know, they all think when I get to Doherty's gym, everything's going to be okay. So it's a, if someone walks in, they're not quite right, just leave them alone. Don't be like this mommy guy at one of those um, big franchise joints with your body shirt and your school shoes. So, oh, what's up? Huh? Smile. Because you get a punch in the face. So it's just when people come in, just try and read their temperature. You know, as they want to chat, chat. But if they want to be left alone, just say, hey, go train, bro. I'll see you out there. Yeah. 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and they'll be a different person. Yeah. When they leave, you know, um, they always are different people. So I think, Jackson, honestly, the highlight for me is being able to provide this unique atmosphere. <laughs> I've never found anywhere else it really is and it was when we went into lockdown I guess it, it made me appreciate what we've got even more because I had you know the first day we, we closed we had uh, you know I hadn't locked the doors I threw away the keys for this one in uh, 1998 where Australia's only 24 hour gym Everyone said it was mental when I opened up said, so I'll never close again I threw the keys away and I actually the, the, the day of lockdown I had to get a locksmith in to make new keys put new <laughs> barrels in the doors and um it's a funny story, but, you know, when when we were doing that, and, and it was 12 noon, I remember the Prime Minister said all gyms have to shut at 12 noon on the Monday. And, you know, about 11.30, you know, people started to wind up and finish their workouts. And there's people crying, like sobbing on their way out, going, what am I going to do? This is my life. And I'm like, wow. And I got so many messages from people over the break um, that said, you know, they're not coping so well without being able to come here. It's so much a part of their life. And then I saw people... You know, a couple of kids um, with, that have got mental illness, you know, one's a severe schizophrenic and one's bipolar or just super depressed or something. And what keeps them on track is their exercise, their daily fix of Doherty's gym, you know. And there's this one one young guy that comes here and, and um remember it was the second lockdown I heard a knock on the front door. I was renovating. I went to the door and he was dribbling on himself. And here's the guy that's gone from being in care, you know, living at home with his mum, unable to do anything to getting his own flat and his own job and becoming independent and lowering his medication because of his exercise, his endorphins through exercise that allowed him to, you know, get as good as he's going to get. And when we're locked down, man, they just upped his meds so high that he hardly recognised it. It, it. was like dribbling on himself. And You know, I saw yeah. a couple of people in the park, you know, doing laps of the park, and they are in that kind of robot walk um, because... They were just so medicated without exercise, without going to the gym and getting their, you know, fix on their own terms. It was kind of heartbreaking, but it also made me very, very grateful that we can provide what we do. So it's a long answer, but it's to me, man, that's the highlight. It's the people. It's the people I get to meet and hang out with. And it's great being who I am in the industry and everything else. But really, I've worked in gyms since I was 21. I've never had a day where i I've gone, oh shoot, I've got to go to work. I can't wait to get here every day. We I say to people, you know, if you love what you do, it's not like work and you're the luckiest person in the world. So
0: um I'm a big believer in that. Like you gotta yeah, it just it's a whole different theory when you you love what you do. And everyone should love like they should be doing what they love, do you know what I mean? They shouldn't be doing something they wake up and be dreading each
1: day. That's not life in- It's a funny thing, there has you know, been surveys done. I remember Arnold telling me that When he was governor, they did a survey in California, and the figures were something like 75% of people hate their job and hate their existence. That's hate. That's crazy. And the next 20%, they kind of like it and they deal with it, but that's that's about it. And 5% of people love it, where they just go, wow, (laughs) I get to do this shit every day. So I try and encourage people. And one thing uh, you you may not know that I do, I do a lot of um, motivational speaking. I have a, a traveling speaking circuit called Relentless Momentum. Relentless means never, never stop, and 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 momentum means never quit. So I, I always try and encourage people that and, that, and it's the thing that always comes up. I'm like, what are you waiting for? You've got one life, and it's gonna, you know, you'll be putting putting off doing what you want to do. You'll be procrastinating, you'll be making excuses, and in one minute, five years has gone by. Yeah, and and a lot of people say, what's your greatest fear? Like you've seen on my Instagram, I do these questions every week, and I often get. When I'm doing my seminars or my question, what's your greatest fear? And it's a very easy answer. My greatest fear is to die with regret. Yeah. And when I do my seminars, I always say to people, listen, just just shut your eyes for me. Just imagine now, you know, you're at the end of your time, you know, you're on, on your deathbed. And we're all gonna die. Like tomorrow you'll be one day closer. You, and me, everyone. Yeah. And it gets a bit dark. But I say to them, you know, do you want to look back at your life and think, shit, I wish I had taken more chances. I wish I had had have had bigger balls. I wish I had have believed in myself. I wish I didn't listen to other people that tried to talk me out. I wish, I wish, I wish. Or do you want to look back at your life and go, wow, you know, what a ride. I could not have fucking packed more into that if I tried. So I think that's what motivates me more than anything to say, well, we do have a choice. And I always encourage people to say, find something. And they go, well, how do you know when you found it? And I always say, well, you know, when you find something that wakes you up in the morning, that keeps you awake at night. That makes you forget to eat and all other kinds of crazy things. You found your passion. Go for it. Yeah. In saying that, why? Obviously,
0: you said about seventy percent of the population doesn't. They hate what they do. So, what? Yeah. Why are they? Why are they afraid or why are they scared to make a change? What? What's that thing? Why aren't people doing what they love?
1: Well, I, I think the psychology of that is um, that they're, you know, they're scared of change or they're conditioned. Um, to sign up for security, you know, to have job security, to have a safety net. You know, like I got a lot of shit when I was a kid because I didn't want to go to university. I didn't like school teachers, all this kind of thing. You probably weren't much different. And and I, I was strong enough to go, yeah, thanks for your advice, but I'm going to do it my way. But most people, you know, it, it comes from their upbringing, their parents and their conditioning, what society expects. And, you know, as I said earlier, when I was 13 or 14, I made the decision to say I'm not buying what you're selling. You know I was a really smart kid and I said you could be a, a criminal lawyer, you could be a surgeon, you could be, you know, anything. You've got this, you know, ability to speak. You could be a politician, you could do why are you going to, you know, do this? I said because this is what's going to make me happy. And thank you, but I'm not buying what you're selling. I don't want to work in a bank. I don't want to work in a little office um, you know, in a in a box with a fluorescent light and and have to clock on at whatever time every day life goes by too i just knew right really early on that that wasn't for me and i think most people you know they they, they're conditioned to believe that stuff you know and when people ask me jacks i always say there's three things that stop people from achieving what they really really want and it's it's fear of failure which we all have and you know i've met people around the world at the top of the game in all sorts of industries billionaires and movie stars and you're lead athletes from so many different sports, you know from the Chicago Bulls to Tiger Woods to all the pro bodybuilders I've trained with, and you know the strongest people in the world, and all this sort of stuff, and even they have self doubts so people think, "Oh, because I've got self doubts, I can't do anything no, <laughs> you're in the biggest club in the world, and the second one is fear of failure. Everybody's so scared, what if I fail, what if what if what if, and this comes from your conditioning and upbringing as well. And the third one is worrying about what other people think. They go, "Oh, you know, but if I get a tattoo, you know, my auntie Maureen won't like it, or if I if I get a motorcycle, my mum won't approve, or if I if I go out and work on my own in a mining community for two years to save money to open my gym, uh, they'll think I wasted their time at university." It's always this condition of worrying about what other people think. So it's 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 um, self doubt, fear of failure, and worrying about what other people think is what holds us back.
0: Yeah, I can 100% agree with all those um, 100%. But you know, without failure, I don't believe you can ever succeed. Like you need to go through times of failure to come out the other side.
1: Oh, uh, absolutely, dude! You know, and this is what I—that's I, I, why I try and keep my stuff so real. Yeah, not, you know, I'm a mess, and I've failed so many times at so many things that I don't need to lie about. It. I need to say to people, "Shit, I, I stuffed up this so badly, but I'm still here, and I'm still kicking, and I still get up every day enthusiastically, and I don't beat myself up." You know when I fail, I try to try and learn from it really fast and go, well, fucking don't do that again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's just uh... to
0: get you on because, you know, I think we've come from,
1: yeah, somewhat
0: similar backgrounds. We're trying to work towards something and I just don't care who you are in this world. Um, you can really achieve whatever you want. And I, I'm a firm believer in that, like everyone's equal in my opinion. So, um, yeah, I just, I just hate people that think, oh, he might've been lucky or, you know, this or that. No, like, genuinely, you know, you've worked your ass off if you've got to where you've got. So,
1: I get it all the time, so you're lucky. Lucky? Yeah. You know, the first year that I opened my 24-hour gym... No, sorry, the first year that I opened my gym in Melbourne, before it was 24 hours, Um, you know, I had a, 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 a truckload of broken equipment, <coughs> a, a warehouse that I couldn't afford, and a big dream. And the only way I could keep the doors open for the first year when we were open from six in the morning till nine or 10 at night. The only way I could keep the doors open was to do all the hours myself, seven days a week. And I actually didn't have a house. I slept on the couch for a year at the gym. I had a rice cooker, a vertical grill and a couch because you've got to, you've got to, you know, there's, you've got to pay the price. There's a cost to anything. This is what people are, yeah, but you know, I wouldn't be willing to do that. The fact that I was willing to do that is why I outlasted all the other guys in the gym industry because when the going got tough, they went, Oh, you know, I didn't expect to be homeless, I didn't expect to be broke. I'm like, Man, I've been so broke, you know, that on a bad week, I'd just eat tuna out of a tin for a week. I was going to buy a dozen cans of tuna and go, Well, that's it. And you know, when when you've been through that, everything else is easier. And then, and then you look at someone going through a hard time, they well, you're not going to last, man. I'll just outlast you all. So whether it's been with, you know, bodybuilding promotions or expos or gyms or all the other stuff that I've done, um, I certainly didn't start off with any advantage. I didn't get lucky. You know, I wasn't more educated or more wealthy or more entitled or more anything than anyone else. I just don't have a, an ability to quit. And also, I just know I can outlast anyone.
0: Yeah, 100%. Uh, sorry, just cut out a bit. Um... Can you hear me? Yeah, awesome. Yeah, um, what, I know you've touched on this a fair bit, but what's the main thing that sets Doherty's gym apart from other commercial
1: gyms? Yeah. Well, we already talked about that, just the fact that it's not commercial, the fact that it's, it's not money-driven. I think that's the biggest thing. I'll give an example. I've been open here for this 24-hour 20 gym, 22 years. You know when people come in and make an inquiry, or oh, can I have a look around at your gym? We've never, ever, ever asked anyone for their phone number and then followed up with yeah. a call, not once. And there's no commercial gym in the world that doesn't do that. Oh, can I just get your number or give you a call? And I'm like, hey, Jackson, um, either you're going to love it or you're not. So go have a look at some other gyms. And if, if this is what you're after, you'll come back. But what's happened now because the brand's kind of got famous and people know what it is. And I, th- I think the internet's been a great tool um, for a lot of good things. And people Google it, they have a look and they go, that's what I'm looking for. So 95% of people that walk through the door here just join. They just walk and go, I already know what what it is. I just want to join. So we haven't got to do that smarmy shit. Like, you know, I'll go to a gym in Germany or US or Spain or somewhere. And Can I just get a casual workout? Oh, we'll get a membership consultant to come out and talk to you first. Do you want a yeah. personal trainer? Can we get credit card details? I said, man, I just want to have a look at your gym. Oh, well, hang on. let me get the... And then some dickhead with you know, school shoes and a polo <laughs> will come out. It looks like, you know, someone's little sister. And, we're all, and he goes, oh, have you worked out before? And I'm looking at this, you know, 50-kilo kid just thinking, I actually, you know, I want to throw you through the window, <laughs> dude. <laughs> like trained before. What do you think? Anyway, this sort of shit. And I, I, I actually hate that. So I'm not a hateful person. But for me, that's not – I'm not part of that industry, Jackson. I've never been driven by that. And it's a funny thing because, you know, all the people that go to fitness school – are taught that my model is the worst model in the world. It doesn't work. It can't last. But my, my thing is, you know, you build the brand, build the stadium, and the people will come. So I've built something. I just, ha- I just know what people want because I've, I've, I've been you. You know, I've been everyone that's been in it, I've been that person. And I'm like, everyone just wants to be fucking left yeah. alone. You know, where well, you don't have to have a program to train. You, you don't have to have a trainee. You don't have to, all you to do is just mind your business and do your workout put your weights away. So we have this um, reverse psychology of, of selling, where we don't sell. We don't. We've never had a sales office. Not one. Gym, one of my gyms has a sales office where we take someone in to get their details. Yeah. You know, here, there's. You know, you've sat in the cafe before. We just give them an iPad. Sit so down. If you want to join, sit down, fill that out, and come back to the counter. We'll yeah, I think and I think that's what I think. That, that's what really sets us apart. One, it's not sales. Yeah, I love that. The thing is. Um, you know, most gyms oversubscribe. So you look at some of these, you know, um, oh, you know, there's there's all those Snap, Anytime, Jets, all this, you know, sort of little gyms that they sell, sell this um, life, not a lifestyle dream, like a passive investment sort of dream to these people. And they'll have a goal of, say, 1,000 members or 2,000 members where they're making money. But the truth is, if all those people use their membership, they'd be screwed because they'd never fit in there because they actually want their people not to train. So this is why you see a lot of these mainstream brands, they'll do like a, a spinning wheel at the shopping centre and tell, tell old ladies they've won a prize to get their credit card numbers, all this kind of crap. And they're relying on the fact that people might come once a week or just never come. So what we always did was the opposite. We said, well, let's encourage our people to train. If they don't train seven days a week, train five days a week or at least three or four. Like, use your membership. Come in every day that you can. And that's why I talked about coffee. Because then we say, well, if, if, if they become regulars become part of the family, they'll buy you know, coffee on the way in, a, a pre-workout drink. They might get a, a Powerade while they're training. They might get a, a, a protein shake and take on the way out. They all buy my shirts and then they brand for us and represent our brand proudly. And we do really well with merchandise, which is something I learned from Gold's in the 90s in Los Angeles, you know, that, that if you could build a brand rather than a gym, that's a game changer. And a brand that people want to be a part of and want to represent. You know, we've got some sponsored athletes here that have got, you know, million plus followers and this and that sort of thing. And they don't expect to be paid. They don't. They're just so happy to represent our brand because it's cool. You know, oh wow, you're one of those gym, You're one of those very few WWE gym athletes or whatever it is. So we've managed, I think, to to step away from the industry and go, well, look, we're we're not that money grabbing gym. We're not going to call you up. You know, people walk in here. They've been to have a look at a couple of gyms and almost like gum shy. They're walking, oh, yeah, I just want to get a price card or whatever. I go, look, here's the prices. Why don't you come for a walk and have a look around? Oh, I'm not sure. I don't have time. I go, why don't you just walk around yourself? <laughs> We're not going to bite, you know? And then I usually can make them laugh or the staff can just sort of just make it very, very unassuming. I go, look, what we'll do, we'll take you through for a look. And if you don't like it, you're not obliged to join. We don't even want your phone number. And you see them breathe out and go, really? This last place I went to, I go, Yeah, I know that I know the drill. I don't want to talk about it. Come on. This is our leg room and this is this and this is that and look at all the equipment we've got and and uh simple <coughs> is, man, they they love it or they don't. And if you read it in someone's eyes that they don't like it's not for them, you go just this may not be for you. Why don't you go and have a look at, you know, like a YMCA or a, a fitness first or something, because I think it'll suit you a lot better. Or they can say, Oh, if you had classes, I just, we're never gonna have classes. This is not yeah. what we do. So you know, we're the gym. I guess to summarise all of that, we are the gym for the five percent of people that no one else wants, and then all their friends. Yeah. Well, no, you've definitely built a,
0: you know, a great. Uh, yeah, I like Doherty's. I think it's one of the best. So, um, just keep going about it. Keep doing what you do, man. Um, I've got a few questions here that I think the audience will like. Who, who is the uh, you. person you have ever trained with?
1: Hardest person ever trained with.
0: Pro, amateur, whatever it may be.
1: Um, Oh man, it's a hard one because there's different sorts of hard. You know, like I probably have to say, you know, Sonny Schmidt. I trained with him with him like every single day for three or four Olympias, and you know, he's the one that taught me the ability of 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 of, uh, really intense training where we do. 40, 50 sets per body part day after day after day after day, seven days a week for That's three months. You know, so I think from that, that sort of high performance for a long time, high volume, high performance over a long period of time, probably yeah. sunny. Um, and a lot of the other guys haven't really trained with them. I've been with them when they've trained or I've, you know, um, uh, interviewed them or talked about their workouts. And, of course, you look at someone like Ronnie Coleman. I never trained with Ronnie. You know, I watched him train. I even made yeah. videos with him of his training and interviewed him a hundred times. But of um, the regular training partners I had, you know, the, the, there's a couple of guys that nobody would know. There was one guy that we used to train with. We did this kind of odd lifting. He was just the strongest guy. And we'd, we'd Google these weird exercises. So i become really good at, um, for example, reverse deadlifting. So you put the bar behind your legs instead of in front of your legs. <laughs> yeah, and I could do five plates for reps um, with the bar behind my legs, but I couldn't do it in front of my legs. It was just, I just, you know, everyone has these weird things. And then we come up with this one. He had, he had a couple that I couldn't do, and I had a couple he couldn't do. But I got really good at one-arm snatches, where I use an Olympic barbell, you know, where the, the Olympic lifters snatch it up, where they don't do the clean yeah. and press, but the yep. snatch. And, you know, I, I, was, I was snatching a plate and a half with one hand and then balancing it above my head um, time after time after time with both sides of my body. And then my buddy that I trained with back there, his name was Shane, he did this thing. I think it was called a hack and, hack and, break, hack and something squat. And basically, you'd start with the bar on the ground, right? No squat rack. And you'd have to lift up one end of the bar so it was standing straight up and down, then get in under it sideways, flip it up onto your back, do a full squat, then poke one end of the bar back into the ground, lift it over your head and put it down again. And he he, he was doing... I can't remember it was like three and a half plates aside um, from a standing start and getting it onto That's his incredible. back. Incredible. Yeah, just crazy shit like that, you know. And, and uh, I remember he used to shoulder press, you know, three, four plates out of a rack and just explosively throw it in the air and this sort of stuff. And then, you know, we had these things called a Turkish oh, get yeah. up. Hot. Yeah. You're lying on the ground, but, but with a barbell, not with people doing with kettlebells. We used to do with yeah.
0: barbells. <laughs> Gee. Lots of
1: different, you know. So yeah, so that there was another kind of really hard training partner that I had. But there's been a few over the years, and and, and I've trained a lot of fighters and different stuff for different activities, and each in their own way have, have yeah. been incredible. If you could spend a whole day with one famous bodybuilder, uh, current or past,
0: who would it be and why?
1: Oh well, I've spent a day with every single bodybuilder. Oh, so you've you've, ever you've heard done of. it all. <laughs>
0: Yeah, man. I've, I've, you put, know, I've, put it this I've, way from... then who who was your favorite to spend the whole day with?
1: <laughs> oh man, that's a hard one too because you know I've got different friends for different reasons. So my best friend in all bodybuilders, yeah. Chris Cormier. You know we've been we've been best buddies since two thousand. You know we've picked each other up out of some gutters and we've helped each other through a lot of life stuff. He's like my long lost brother. So you know I love Chris. He's one of my favorite people in the world. You know, and I'm close with a lot of them. Um, You know, I got really close with Kai Green. He's probably the most interesting and smart and talented person I've ever met. And then, you know, um, I've had a lot of people don't like Phil's attitude, but they don't get to spend the time with him that I've had where he's a really funny guy and he's into cars and high-performance shit and stuff way outside of bodybuilding. So that's interesting. And then when I travel, you know, probably my best mate, you know, on the circuit, you know, at the Olympia and the one I hang out and just always love hanging out with, is Jay Cutler. And Jay, when he was competing, he was so serious, we didn't realize he even I've, had a personality. I've, I've, no. And, man, he's awesome. Like, you know, through this COVID thing, he's checked in on me every two weeks without any prompt. I'll just get a WhatsApp message. Hey, bro. Hey, bro. Just checking in to yeah, see you are okay. I've... And that's a friend, you know? You know, so I always stop and think, if bodybuilding disappeared, who would I still be friends with out of all those guys? And, and, and they're probably yeah. the main ones. I've heard nothing but
0: good about Jay Cutler um, and, you know, even personal experience um, when I was in Doherty's gym. Obviously, I'm a nobody, but he still come up, gave me his time of the day, had a chat, um,
1: and I just thought it was awesome. So, yeah. 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 And, uh, and and Chris Cormier, he's one of the most knowledgeable trainers. So anyone listening, if ever you get a chance, you know, right now I can't bring him out. I was just talking to him yesterday, but um, he'll be back here training clients w- when he can. And if you get a chance to train with someone like that, take it because you'll learn more about movement than anything else. You know, I've just started doing clients again after well, I couldn't for the last six, seven years because I've been travelling, and um, and I've been getting like one or two clients every single day, and I charge five hundred bucks a session, but it's, it's two hours. But you'll learn more. And someone said P- people get you know a little crazy about putting a value on, on things. I so I think okay, so if you pay a trainer a hundred bucks. And he hasn't got a clue what he's doing. He doesn't even notice you've got your head in the wrong position or you're doing your side raises completely wrong or you don't lock your arms out when you do So yeah. like you go on all day. And you pay them five times $100, that's a waste of 500 bucks. You do a session with me and I will sort your shit out and you remember it for the rest of your life. So a lot of the clients are getting actual trainers. And they're like, oh, you know, I don't want my clients to know I'm coming here, but I, want to, I know I need to upskill because... I actually don't know what I'm doing. They don't say that. Yes. That's what they're saying. So, you know, I think that um, yeah, from a training point of view, get you opportunity train with someone that really knows their stuff, don't, don't creep out on yourself because that's yeah.
0: Is Chris currently training any pros?
1: Um, yeah, he's trained a few. He just trained Breon for the Olympia again. And um, he's uh, down in San Diego at the moment. I can't remember the name of the gym, but he's in San Diego and, uh, fortunately, San Diego things are still open. The rest of California is bad, particularly um, LA. County. Yeah, man, Chris is Chris is a he's just a cool.
0: Yeah, dude. I've heard that. You know? Who's your 2021 Mister Olympia winner
1: prediction? Uh, man, if Big Rami comes like ripped in shape like that, I think he's untouchable. I mean, I remember when he first hit the scene. I was interviewing. Uh, it was Phil and Kai after, you know, like in 2011, 12, 13, whenever they were having those big battles. And, you know, I don't know if you realise, I do all the interviews for NPC News Online backstage at the Olympia every year, except except this year just gone because I couldn't travel. But it's been my job for years. So i kind of run backstage at the Olympia with the interviews. And, you know, those guys would say to me, I hope that guy never gets in shape because we're, we're all screwed if he does. And he finally nailed it. And I was at a show in Brazil in, I think it was in Rio, about four years ago, and he won that. And it was the first time I'd seen him really nail his shape. But he hadn't quite nailed it. He was just better than everyone else. But at the Olympia this year, in fact, I was talking to his coach, Chad Nichols, last night, and I said to him, you know, in my opinion, Rami was first, second, and third. Everyone else fought over fourth place. Like He he, he was that far ahead of everyone that he's almost untouchable. I mean, the only other guy that's got his amount of size, and if he gets his conditioning right, and I've seen roll it a him. couple of times, they could Rolly, man. And that's the other guy, hey, that's the other guy I love hanging out with. See, I hate mentioning this because I always forget someone. Rollie's one of my other best friends in the sport, man. He he's him and him and William Bonac are classy dudes, you know. Um both him and William, uh when they turned pro, you know, no one really wanted to give him a start or anything else. So I brought them in to do the Australian Pro or the early Arnold, whatever it was, and gave both of them their first chance. And Rolly tells everyone, this guy, Tony, Tony <laughs> Montana, he calls me, he goes, he said, he's the first guy ever to believe in me, oh. you know? And, and Bonac, that's why people say, why would William Bonac come out and do the Australia show when he just won this and this and this? It's because he's, he, he's, he's got his loyalty straight. He says, Tony, i will do anything for you, man, because when no one else believed in me, you did. So I've got, you know, I guess a good reputation with the pros because I look after them really well. And even Dexter, you know, Dexter can be hard work when he's dieting, man, but mad respect to him. I've been on the road with Dexter for 20 years and, you know, he he did my Australian pro and Arnold more than anyone. He came out here, Should of the 20 years that I did it, I think he competed 12 times or more. And it was just a phone call. Say, Dex, can you come and support me? He goes, yeah, bro, I got you. And, I mean, he's just finished his career at 51 years old, you know, beating – He's the GOAT. <laughs> just Brother, he really is for consistency. No one will ever be like him. So, I could sit here and talk – like, you yeah. throw names at me. And I, oh, shit, there's another one I forgot. But Rowley, man, he, he can really uh, push Rami. But Rami with that little waist and when he gets his skin thin like that – you know, everyone else should I take think, a
0: number. I think so too. And, you know, with Chad Nichols and De- Dennis James behind him, man, it's a killer combination. Um, What's your thoughts on Phil?
1: Is he coming back? Um, any- I don't know, man. That, that, that's a question yeah. you have to ask Phil. I, I, look, I think it's great yeah. that he did. But the fact that, you know, he wasn't, it wasn't the best Phil yeah. we've ever seen. I think the best fill we ever saw was that, you know, 2010-11-12 or 11-12-13 sort of era. And I don't think he's ever really, like, I think his first two, three Olympia wins, were unbelievable. And then, you know, he's never had that same kind of 3D sucked in skin conditioning, I don't think, since then. I mean, yeah, look, he looks great in some poses still. I mean, his, his rear double biceps are still yeah. the best in the business, but he's not getting any better. He's over 40. Um, so I, I wouldn't, oh, how can I put it? I wouldn't like to see him get yeah. beaten again. You know, he's a seven time Olympia. He's one of the greatest. I've ever seen. One of the greatest I've interviewed. He's the most competitive person I know. He would hate. He hates getting beaten. So that would eat him alive. So I would suggest that um, we probably won't see Phil on stage again. He always said that the Australian Arnold or the Australian Pro would be his last show. He'd always come out. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Here. But obviously, yeah. well, because COVID's changed our world, I just don't know. But I promise you, you and anyone listening, I will ask him. I'll remind him. Phil promises yes. a promise.
0: But with the, with the gut issue, do you believe that's reversible with um, the gut issues or not just on Phil but in general or do you think that's
1: – oh Yeah, I mean, look at Rowley. When he went to Kuwait and put on all that size, he put on like 70 pounds in two years and he had the worst gut yeah. in bodybuilding. He bought that back in like in 2000 – 2008. For so
0: two years. No, not eight. No, no,
1: no, no. no. No, it was only he won one of the Arnold's. It wasn't sixteen; it was seventeen or eighteen. Anyway, um, he 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 had the small, smallest waist yeah. on stage. Like once he worked out how to bring that back in, he certainly did. You know, so I don't. I think this is all just internet talk about the gut, this and that. Yeah, you know, these guys are so big they carb up too much or they put on too much size too quick, and then they work it out. You know, they work out shit. I will take this product; it makes me bloated. If I don't, yeah. I look way better. You know, and some of the guys I think always look best. You know, like in their first win. It's like it's like music. You know, sometimes someone's first album they never quite recreate. Yeah, it. I agree. And, um, but yeah, Rollie's a great example. You know, he'd be the first. To, he 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 couldn't hold it. In, he couldn't control it. And he practiced his posing. And this is the thing I'm really big on. And you look at Rami. At yeah, his held winter. his poses. Everyone else was falling to pieces. He's holding his pose. He's looking down at Steve Weinberger, who's another dear friend of mine. And be like, bring it on, (laughs) give us some more, you know, because he'd practice. And I know um, uh, Dennis and and when Chris was working with him, Chris is a great posing coach too. He'll make you go through those poses 50 times and hold them for a minute each. So that when you're on stage, and this is where I think, you know, someone like Phil, for example, he's so good when he's in shape, he probably doesn't put himself through those kind of paces because he doesn't have to. Like I remember that year in the Olympia, it was like 2013 or something. And they, they brought them out for the um, confirmation round at the end. And before they even hit the first pace, they're like, Phil Heath, back in line. Yeah, it's He'd crazy. already won. You know what I mean? So, whereas, whereas Rami, he's always ready to fight. And I, I loved that this year where, man, he, he'd still be posing if that. had <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'll tell you how – he's another great guy, how humble Rami is. So, I waited two days after the Olympia, and I sent him a message on WhatsApp, you know, just – saying how proud I was and how happy I was for him. And, um, man, he, he sent me back the, the most beautiful message, you know, within hours. And he, he was, and I said, man, I'm so sorry I wasn't there, you know, because we always talked about how I'd get to interview him when he won the Olympia. And I said, I'm so sorry I wasn't there to be part of your victory. And, he, you know, he called me back and said, Mr. Tony, the only thing missing from this Olympia was you. And he, he was crying on the phone when he said yeah, it. And crazy. I thought... Yeah, man. I, I love humility. I like people who, who are genuinely humble and don't just do it for the show or for the cameras. And Rami, man, he's never been any different from the day I met him. He's another one that just backs me all the way. In fact, 2020, when I cancelled the Arnold, um, a week before we got told we had to cancel, he had to leave Kuwait to get to Dubai to get out here. It took me, I spent, uh, I think it was 2600 bucks with immigration lawyers to get his, his uh, visa into Australia. And we finally got the visa. And uh, he said, um, all right, I'm going to go from Kuwait to Dubai. He said, but if things close up over there, he said, I can't go back. I have to get the last flight out of Kuwait to be able to come and see you. This is after he'd done Columbus and everything. I said, well, I think we're going to go ahead. We're good. So I bought his ticket last minute, you know, spent all the money in getting his, his visa sorted. He actually, I was asleep and he called me from the plane and said, Mr. Tony, I'm on the plane. There's no turning back. If I go to the, Dubai and I can't come to, to Australia, I'm here for 30 days. I won't see my wife in Jordan for 30 days. But I'm willing to, to do that for you and for the fans in Australia to take the risk. And I woke up the next morning and got the confirmation that I had to cancel the show and he was already in, in Dubai. Yeah, I heard that on Dave Palumbo's... So, um... Yeah, man. I mean, that's class. He backed me all the way. He never complained once. He says, it's just not your fault, Tony. He said, I know you did You had integrity in everything you did with this. And, you know, it is what it is. God bless you and we're good. And we never talked about it again. Now, that's a classy fucker. Who else would do that? Imagine an American in that position. Oh, God, they want to sue you. They tell everyone all this bad shit. And this is a problem, mate. You know, you get a few people make stuff up and try and make promoters look bad. But for the most part, you know, we put everything on the line every time we do a promotion. And the athletes love us and respect us for it, you know. And... When I first started doing the Australian Pro in 2001, I didn't have any money. I didn't have anything. And everyone said, you, you won't last one year. But the advantage I had from traveling with, with Sonny and with a lot of other Australian bodybuilders, is I saw how bad the athletes got treated and taken for granted at a lot of shows, you know, where we'd fly to a show in upper state New York, we'd fly to a show in Chicago, whatever. And you'd get in the middle of the night, there be no one at the airport to pick you up. You're in a you know huge city in the States, and, and there's no way and then you have to get your way to the airport and then there's no restaurants open, there's no food available, there's no athlete's menu and you get into the hotel and the choice at night's like uh, a burger, a club sandwich or pasta and and you're with an athlete that's dieted for 20 weeks for this show and all this kind of thing. So I made this sort of promise to myself and the I said so if I do the Australian pro, I don't have the money and it'll be the lowest prize money in bodybuilding but I'm going to treat these guys like rock stars. So I made sure everyone always got picked up at the airport. I always paid for everyone's room, even the up-and-comers. And And like even now, if you're a pro and you go to do a show, you're expected to pay your own hotel room because you're a nobody. And if you're the top-tier guy that's selling the tickets, the promoter might do your deal. So look, I'll take care of your flight and your room. So what I did from day one was always paid for everyone's room. And then when I got here, I just had a shit ton of food ready. So the early days, we used to do this barbecue and... My brother would come and help me cook, and the dad would have – and because I was a bodybuilder, I knew what they wanted, so I'd have chicken, I'd have steak, I'd have fish, I'd have sweet potatoes, I'd have uh, steamed rice, I'd have vegetables, I'd have you know watermelon, whatever, whatever I could think of that they'd want. And we'd go to the airport, we'd pick them up, they'd come straight to the gym, and here was this, this like buffet of, of clean food because it was always three, four days before the show. Then instead of putting them in hotel rooms, I'd put them in apartments, you know, self-contained apartments with ovens and fridges and all that. And then I'd leave a hamper of food in their apartment and I'd leave fresh you know, meat and eggs and stuff in their fridge. And like, no one in the world does this. We don't get this at the Arnold. We don't get this at the Olympia. You're a freak. And so I thought, okay, I'll get better at that. So that was my strength. And that's when in the early days it was Chris Cormier, Dexter Jackson, Dennis James would go back to America and go, if you ever do one show, they go to, they go to FIBO in Germany, so if you ever get a chance to do one show, go to Tony's show in Melbourne. you see how you're meant to get looked after. And then at halftime in the early Australian Pro, after the prejudging, I'd put them all out in the foyer with tables to sell. Remember, everyone used to sell the 8 by 10 photos. But then I'd jump up on the tables and say, come over here, ladies and gentlemen, meet this guy. Dexter Jackson is going to be the biggest star in the sport one day. And over here... We've got the legend Chris Cormie. They'd run over to the other side and they'd jump up on the table and say, Marcus rules here, the biggest freak in the world. And they'd sell more photos and more merch in Melbourne than they did anywhere in the world. And, of course, this is what built my show, Jackson. It went on to be the third longest running show only after the Olympia and the Arnold. You know, And everyone said, you won't make it to the second year or the third year. I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll lose some money for a couple of years. But it's never been about money. I, I I wanted to promote bodybuilding because it gave me everything, and I love pro bodybuilding. And I've emceed all over the world and interviewed all over the world. And I, I want to bring this to Australia, and it become a, a yearly fiction. I've got guys that went to every one of every one of those shows for the whole twenty years, and of course it became Phoenix and it became the Arnold. But to me, it was always the Australian Pro, and I, I can't wait to do it again, man. You can you can hear it in my voice, I get excited just yeah. Talking and that's about what it. I
0: love about it. You know, you got the passion for it. And um that's what sets it apart in my opinion. I did have a few yeah. other questions, but I think I'm gonna wrap it up and you know, I'd even love to get you on for another segment. There's so many topics we could talk about. But...
1: Yeah, well man, next time yeah. i play this one and then just one out there listening, shoot that's... Jackson a question you'd like to answer. And it doesn't have to be just bodybuilding, it can be anything about life or motivation or going through a hard time or whatever, or go to my Instagram, I do questions twice a week, Tony Doherty Oz, give me a follow. Um, and, and you guys support Jackson because he reached out to me to come onto this show, and, and you know two or three times he asked me, "Come on, bro, come on the show." So I really appreciate you having me on, Jackson, and you're always welcome down in the gym. You'll be on our guest list always when you come to Melbourne, and uh, with these borders opening, mate, hopefully yeah, can I think I'm going to be
0: coming down next month, to be honest. But um, honest to God, Tony, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on board. Um, you you are an icon, and I mean it. And um, a lot of people do look up to you, and I know you know that. But um, for everyone listening, could you just obviously leave your socials again um, for everyone listening, maybe how they can contact you? Um, do you
1: off uh, Instagram? Honestly, easiest way yep. for me is Instagram. I, I'm on Facebook as well and all that other stuff. But um, I, I, for some reason, I hate Facebook Messenger. I don't want to put my number up here because... I Don't always get to answer the phone, so it's just Tony Doherty, T O N Y G O H E R T Y O Z. Tony Doherty, awesome! Oz.
0: And I'll leave that in all the <laughs> um links on the socials. Um, for everyone asking, do yeah, you, pretty- I know you mentioned that you do do um PT sessions? Do you currently still do that or not? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I'm back doing us a- in December and um, I've just started back again this week. In fact, are, so like, if tomorrow. people so, want to contact you, um,
0: just give you a direct DM,
1: just give me d m on Instagram, and just if they put their phone number there i 'll text them and or and, uh, give them a call and say All right, um, when, do, when do you want to come in what are you after i always talk normally I talk to them for five or ten minutes on the phone, so i 'm kind of ready with what they want but what you know my specialty pick a body part that you 're not feeling or you know you 're getting wrong you 've been dancing around for years and let 's fix it let's let 's work on on correcting your form, getting your mind into the muscle. And make sure you're not wasting your yeah, time in the gym. Awesome.
0: Thank you so much, Tony. Just before I let you go, what is your favorite quote to the audience? Oh,
1: um, <laughs> I'm going to give it to you. One sec. Hang on. Have Can I go on to notes me? One sec. I, I want to get this yeah. right because really, this to me is. So hang on. One moment. Just keep, keep chatting for a sec there, yeah, brother. Yeah. I'm going to find it. It's a quote, it's a quote, a quote by um, uh, Vincent van Gogh. Oh, and I think I know what one you're
0: talking about. We're ready. ready? The audience is ready.
1: The fishermen know that the sea is dangerous and the storm's terrible, but they've never found these sufficient reason for remaining ashore. Again, the fishermen know that the sea is dangerous and the storms are terrible. But they've never found these dangers sufficient reason to remain sure. I love that sure. one. I've, I've never heard that to be honest. But um, you got another one from Tom Waits. You have to risk something that that's matters. That's true. That's I can hundred percent relate to that. Yeah, awesome. Uh, I've got a few. Yeah, I don't oh man, a quote I love a and quote. There.
0: And for all the listeners out there, that's what I'm going to do. Is we're going to see how this one goes. I think it's going to go well, but um, we will leave a question up if you want us to do a segment too. And um, we might just do a listeners questionnaire and um, just running through you, Tony.
1: Done all right. And here's one, one from me: be regular, be regular in your diet so you can be violent and original in your training. I love it. The godfather himself. Thanks for coming
0: on, Tony. And um, I can't wait to get this live.
1: All right. Send
0: me the link. I'll put it up.